This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. Sour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And the goal that we have is provide our listeners with the real facts and the real stats about our local market. And to help me with that today is Ken Newfeld, who's been a realtor here in the Fresno area for 43 decades. years. <laughs> How long? 43 years. 43 years. All right. And um, it's not like he sold one or two houses a year. This guy, um, I don't know if anybody sold more than you over the, uh, all those years. Oh, I'm sure there's lots of uh, good people that have done a lot out there. But uh, I, my best year was 145 homes in one year. Mm -hmm. And that's really cranking them out. Yeah, that is. And knowing you, you walked in every one of them, too. Of so. course I did. Yeah, <laughs> which... You know, some people say they sold homes, but they they had a teammate do it. Um, but you've walked in all those homes. And so trust me to all of our listeners. Trust me, Ken Newfeld knows what he's talking about. And I've known him for a long time. So. It's been a pleasure knowing you and uh, <laughs> being a guest on your show. Yeah, this isn't your first time, but it has been three or four years, I would say. It's been a while, yes too long don't don't make that happen again ken but bust your way into the schedule okay <laughs> all right um you kind of before you became a realtor you kind of had an interesting life tell me about that one. well you know a lot of people that go into real estate have do have a life before real estate and some of them have a life after real estate my own life uh, before real estate was working for 14 years for the mennonite church uh doing uh, church-related uh, Peace Corps type of work in Nigeria, Zambia, Pennsylvania, and finally in Reedley, California. <laughs> I like that, Pennsylvania and Reedley, uh, on top of Nigeria. and uh, So, great. Yes. Two of my children were actually born in Africa, and uh, my daughter, especially born in Zambia, claims to be an African-American. There you go. <laughs> All right, that's Katrina. <laughs> yes, um, she's always got that wit. Yes, she does. All right. Um, I, I would like to know, since you are so heavily involved in, uh, re in real estate here in the Central Valley, give us your recap for 2023. What, what kind of year was that for real estate? Well, I think it was a year where, where maybe we're trying to settle down uh, after we've had quite a few bumpy rides in the last while and uh, but settling down also has its its uh, paradoxes and one of which was that there weren't many homes to sell so a shortage of inventory would really characterize our last year which then put pressure on prices and uh, then also the rising interest rates uh, took a lot of people out of the market yeah that's right so we had a lot happen now here's what I find funny about 2023 and I'd like to get your comment on it if you look at the median sold price at the end of 2023 it was 400,000 for Fresno County 
exactly the same as what it was at the end of 2022. So it seems, I mean, just judging from that statistic, you'd say, oh, it, the market was stable. But it was anything but stable. <laughs> well, the prices were tended to be stable. Um, but, yes, the instability was uh, the lack of inventory and the, the pent-up demand of buyers uh, that uh, were not able to purchase either because of the lack of inventory or because of higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. Instability. I, I, that one I'm going to buy. <laughs> so it, it was a hard year in real estate, I believe, especially for the practitioners because there were a lot less transactions because of that lower inventory. Um, what cause, causes the lower inventory? Well, n a number of things. First of all, um, basically it's a lack of sellers. So a lot of sellers are not going to be thinking about selling. If you're sitting there with a 2.5% interest rate on your mortgage or a 3% or 3.5% even, you're not going to sell your house and then move into a, a, a better home, even though it's better, but with an interest rate of 6 and 7%. That's not happening. So the people who are actually selling are, number one, elderly people who are moving into uh, retirement facilities, and uh, tenants or landlords who are tired of being landlords. Uh, so those are the, the two groups of people that I've seen as sellers in this last year. And of course, that landlord has some new challenges if they want to sell. They have to pay for relocation in many cases for the tenant, um, and they have to give notice um, I have some people, they gave a th three-month notice, even though they only had to give two months. And on the last day, they, they announced that, oh, we can't find a place to move. So. <laughs> what a pity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's causing a problem because the landlord or the seller, potential seller, needs to sell in a time frame so that they can move and, and right-size into another home for them. Mm -hmm. um, but that's it, being delayed by the, this complication. Well, and sometimes uh, uh, landlords or housing providers, as we're calling them now, um, are able to sell with their tenants in possession as well. So um, there's a, a new listing just came out this week that... Uh, uh, I think my colleague's writing an offer on. Uh, th there's tenants there that are paying a market rent. They've been there a long time. And the buyer investor would love to have them stay there. Okay. But you said, <coughs> excuse me, that it's at market rent. So that is a good reason why a, a housing provider should keep rents at as close to market as possible because I know of another one where the rents are probably market rent is probably 1700 a month the people are paying 850 there's a lot of those around yeah so no what investor would want to inherit that 850 well I did have a, an eightplex that sold uh, 
I think the year before last, where the rents were really, really low. And um, basically, the seller took a hit on the price because of when you talk investment, you're looking at a return on that investment. And there's also limits on multifamily homing. home. There's a limit on how much you can raise the rent per year. So even if you, you, you can't really p- play catch up in one breath. Right, right. So with all of this, what is your forecast for 2024? Wow, uh, that's a crystal ball that needs polishing. <laughs> um, but basically, I uh, I see 2024 as a, a year of, toward the end of the year, possibly some declining interest rates. And um, I'm not sure how we're going to do with inventory, though, uh, because those factors haven't really changed that much. Although, uh, going back to interest rates, I think we're starting to get used to 6%. Uh, in some markets in the past, 6% was a, a rate to die for. Uh, today, it's, uh, oh, really? Uh, it's not that exciting. And later on in the show, we're going to talk about the different decades of real estate. And um, one of those will be the 80s when we were in double-digit interest rates all the time. Right. You were happy to get down to below 12. Right. At 12, we better hurry and buy it before it gets worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, okay, so 24, um, do, do you see buyer demand staying uh, robust? I think the buyer demand is going to be there, uh, and especially, uh, again, first-time home buyers, because, as you know, rents have increased tremendously. So if people are paying higher rents, they might as well be thinking about buying uh, because their mortgage payment may not, may not be much different than their rent pretty soon. Right. And of course, when you buy, you're locking in that payment for 30 years. Uh, whereas if you say, well, gee, I'm paying $2,400 rent. My mortgage payment would be $2,400. I'll just continue renting. Well, Next year, your rent might be twenty-five, but if you were purchasing, you're still at twenty-four hundred. Absolutely, that's a very good point. Yeah, I've always said the best form of rent control is a thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage. <laughs> um, all right. What is your advice for sellers for twenty twenty-four, or what do you predict there if if you're a seller? Well, if you really are going to be a seller. Um, then my advice number one would be uh, get your home ready to sell in order to get the best possible price in the shortest period of time. And in order to do that, you probably would benefit from consulting with a realtor to give you an upfront uh, analysis of not only the market, but how to best prepare your home for sale. How how would you address this one, Ken? So I recently had a... um, uh, client say hey somebody knocked on my door and they want to buy my house um and but you know not go through the market not go through mls not go through a realtor how would you respond to that one look out (laughs) (laughs) that didn't take you very long to come out with with that response (laughs) uh it's not and we're going to be talking about the different eras of real estate. It's not, this is not 1980. You could have done that possibly in 1980, but not today. All right. 
because as a seller, you're certainly not going to get uh, fair market value. Right, and there's so many disclosures and things that they need to protect themselves from further liability. Okay, and later on in the show when we talk about the different decades, we're going to talk about all those disclosures that um, may not have been around in the 80s. Um, we're going to go to our first commercial break, but when we get back, we got a lot to talk about. about Why do markets change anyway? So stay tuned. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And today we have Mr. Ken Newfeld here in the studio with us from London Properties. Ken has been a very, very active realtor in the Central Valley um, since the early 80s, I believe. 1980. Oh, okay, that is the early 80s. (laughs) Uh, But you've also been involved in leadership. You've been... uh, Two times you've been uh, president of the Association of Realtors. Yes, I have been. Um, there's another person that's been president two times. I'm but looking at him. Yes, you are. <laughs> but I've been a president longer than you have because both of my years were leap years. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that Who would is, think of that? That's a, a Scordino kind of joke. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about why why do real estate markets change why why is it cyclical yeah and in the early 80s and in the 90s the cycle was very easy to identify it appeared that every seven years there was a high or a low so from one high um 1979 was a high to the next high was like uh 1991 92 and the low was 1986 and again in in about 1997, we had another low. So it, it was very cyclical, and it's hard to say exactly why those cycles occurred, uh, but one definite uh, factor was the rising interest rates in the early 80s, when interest rates got to as high as 17 and 18%, and banks and lenders were almost considered irrelevant, and we had to go to seller financing and other kinds of creative means of financing property. Yeah, and um, but but I'm going to say this about the 80s and 90s. It, it seemed to be more driven by supply and demand than it is today. Today, it seems like there's outside forces that are contributing to the supply and demand, like intentionally raising the interest rates intentionally lowering the rates um so that i think that has uh contributed to why markets change but with all that said how do we as local real estate professionals helping buyers and sellers how do we adapt well as uh, realtors we need to be able to read the tea leaves as it were and realize whether we're in a market where we have too many sellers or too many buyers. So in a market where sellers are not plentiful, uh, your best bet is to go and find more sellers to get more inventory onto the shelves. 
if there's a lot of inventory on the shelves, we need to figure out how to get the inventory off the shelves, and we do that by finding more buyers. So it's a matter of, of reading the signs of the changing market and then uh, focusing on where the real needs are, not just doing the same thing no matter what the market is. All right, so realtors have to be adaptive. You gotta change um, with the market. Absolutely. All right. Um, Let's go into what some of the dangers of an overheated market were like. So, first of all, what periods of time would you call overheated? I would say 2005 to 2008 was probably the most overheated market we've seen in the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. And the danger, one of the dangers at that time was housing became an investment vehicle rather than housing and so uh, there were people who would be buying homes um, and, and while they're in escrow they went up fifty sixty thousand dollars they made fifty thousand dollars just being in escrow and then they would resell it immediately and use the money and buy another one and do the same thing we had people that did this four and five times until finally it kind of bit them and uh, it was game over yeah, yeah. I remember those times. And um, that was our first run of um, multiple offers, so to speak. Uh, yes. But I'm going to throw this out there, too. It was our first run with online mortgages. So back in the 80s and 90s, if you needed a loan, you went and sat in front of the loan officer and talked to them and told them your story and they would tell you what their programs were and you worked out alone. All of a sudden in the early 2000s and specifically 2005 yeah, right. uh, through, like you say, eight, people were banking online and maybe didn't get all the, didn't ask all the right questions, maybe weren't provided with all the right answers either no income no job mm-hmm got a go got a good loan though yeah for the first year <laughs> right those teaser rates they were they were a killer as well T tell us what you mean by a teaser rate because and I want our listeners to pay attention to this one because don't get teased right so the teaser rate uh, back in those days you you could you could say you can get a we'll give you a loan for one point nine percent for six months, mm -hmm. and then after that uh, it goes up to in those days like seven or eight percent, and uh, but but you you felt really good for the first six months, uh, but you didn't really realize what you were getting into in the long haul. And I think the worst one that I saw because there was a lot of different teaser type loans it wasn't just one uh and that is that they would tell you that your your payment was fixed for five years but in the in between the tea leaves was but the interest rate can change monthly after the first six months and then you have negative amortization so you end up owing more than you started with yeah can you give us a definition or or an explanation of negative amortization. Right, so negative amortization is so you're making a payment, but your payment is is uh, artificially below uh, what it should be, 
And so the part that you didn't pay gets added to the principal the first month. The next month you make another low payment and you have more added to the principal. So five years from now, you, you owe substantially more than you ever started with. So and that would be okay if prices or home values were going up accordingly too. That's probably okay in 2006. Yeah, but by seven and eight, it it was not okay. The balloon burst. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> speaking of balloon, a lot of people had balloon payments. Can, can you tell us what a balloon payment was? Well, we're getting into all kinds of terminology here, Don. Yeah. Well, a, a balloon payment is one where you, you owe a certain amount of money, uh, very often interest only, for example, where you're only going to pay interest on the loan every month. And then at the end of two years or the end of three years, the entire principal becomes due. And that is called the balloon payment, where all of a sudden, all at once, everything you owe becomes due and payable. Yeah, yeah. So aside from 05 and to, through 08, what, what was another overheated market? Well, I think the COVID, the post-COVID market was overheated. And COVID, we were afraid at first that, hey, our, our, our industry is doomed. We can't show property. Um, nobody's going out to look at property. And so for the first few months of COVID in the early 2020, um, we had to figure out how to do real estate in a COVID environment. And fortunately, uh, we were deemed to be an essential industry. And uh, then we worked out protocols for showing with masks and hand, uh, hand scrubbing and uh, social distancing. We did all of that. And within a few months after COVID, when people were, were cooped up in their homes, uh, home became very important. And they started looking and buying and the, uh, the post-COVID market did get overheated. Yeah, certainly did. And 21 and 22 were banner years, a lot of sales, a lot of movement going on. But I think you touched on the right thing. After or post-COVID, people really appreciated a home and the right size of home. So maybe they were in that 1,200 square foot home and they realized, wow, if we're going to be sheltering in place or we're going to be stuck here, we better have an extra room. We better have a in-home office. That's where the whole working from home became essential, really. And, and by the way, working from home has not disappeared. And so people are still looking for homes that are big enough to accommodate the home office. I know somebody that works in Alaska and lives in Washington, the state of Washington. So uh, that's the ingenuity of the Scordino family. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. Um, what about, tell me about the paradoxes in, in a real estate market. So let's say you get these really great, great interest rates, two and a half, three percent. Tell us the good and the bad of that. Well, the, uh, of course, the interest rates, uh, it, it, does, uh, it, it does allow more people to, <clears throat> to buy and, um, you, and you can afford more, <clears throat> excuse me, you can afford more home for your money. Um, 
but then it does create shortages uh, uh, again and and rising uh, prices and less affordability. So um, uh, affordability has been a, a paradoxical issue all along. I see. Um, it, and I've often said that it's not just that people don't want to move uh, away from a 3% interest rate, but it, it's more than that, and that is when the interest rates were that low, they were probably able to skip the starter home and move into a forever home uh, because it was so affordable. So that might be another reason for uh, low inventory right now. People don't have to move. That's true. And, you know, you raised the issue of paradoxes. I thought of another one, um, which was right after the crash of 2008, uh, when 75% of the market was uh, distressed and prices got to be very, very good. So we had a high degree of affordability price-wise, but nobody could buy them because, number one, a lot of the homes were not in condition to for the first-time buyer to purchase, and a lot of the competition was cash buyers who were investors who were, who were uh, scooping up these very well-priced properties. Ah, okay. So all I could say is it takes a professional to help figure out these different markets. And with that thought, we're going to go to our next commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk about real estate in the different in the last four decades, four and a half decades. So stay tuned. Thank you. I'm proud of the house we built. It's stronger than sticks, stones, and steel. It's not a big place. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino and Ken Newfeld. Um, and we are going to be talking now about the house that we built. As our intro music said, we're proud of the house we built. Well, we're going to go back to the 80s and 90s and the 2000s and, and move on forward and describe what, what real estate was like then. So, how, Ken, how would you describe real estate in the 1980s? I would say it was the last of the, the last era of simple transactions. Simple. <laughs> Back in 1980, the real estate purchase contract was one page, mostly blank lines. We want to buy your house. We want to close in so many days. We want to pay you this much money. End of story. But that didn't last very long because then we went into the need for disclosures. By you know who's who is representing whom, what is the seller's representation? What is the buyer's representation? That was introduced, and then also disclosures about the property. We started the uh, broker that I was working for at the time. We were one of the first companies that actually uh, introduced disclosure forms. Uh, our broker Hank Jensen made a made up a disclosure form. He made up his own form? He made up his own disclosure form even before it became mandated in the state of California in the, toward the late eight, uh, eight, uh, 1980s. Yeah, and that mandated form is called the Transfer Disclosure Statement. The TDS. Yeah, and heck, now there's also the SPQ, the AVID, 
there it goes on and on. This is alphabet soup, but anyway, the SPQ, <laughs> yeah. by the way, is a seller property questionnaire, which we ask sellers to to complete, and then the agents also need to do the agent's diligent visual inspection of the property. But anyway, those are new developments that started in the 1980s. And that's a good reason to use a local realtor because, uh, and I'm sure you've seen this too, where some realtors from Southern California or 200 miles away, wherever they're at, want to sell a home here, but they don't ever make the drive here go and walk through the property. So how do they do a diligent visual inspection? I think it'd be very hard to do it remotely. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Hasn't technology changed that? Not enough. <laughs> All right. So what you're saying is the 1980s were a much simpler time. So to go back to that uh, seller who had someone knock on their door and say, I want to buy it without using a realtor. Maybe in the 80s, you could have done it, but not now. Right. They would go, okay, fine, let's go to the escrow company. And escrow companies are not equipped to do that anymore today either. You know, it is, it's become more complex. Okay. Let's go to the 1990s. What was that like? Well, home inspections had become in vogue. Because in, in the early 1980s, there was no such thing as a home inspection. And there were, but home inspections had become a, a cottage industry. And um, everybody was, all buyers were encouraged to get a home inspection as part of their diligent uh, investigation of the property. And, but a lot of people didn't do them at first. They were reluctant. Yeah, well, they were at their own at their own peril at that point. Then, mm -hmm. uh, although the tr traditional home inspection before home inspectors came along was, you would do your final walkthrough on a Friday night, uh, and you're going to close on Monday, and the buyer walks through and starts turning on the lights and flushing the toilets and running the dishwasher, and the buyer says, "Well, I'm not closing on Monday until this dishwasher gets fixed." Uh, and fortunately, we've come a long way is that these inspections, quote unquote, are done professionally and they're done well in advance. Yeah. And the well in advance is really, really important because I remember a case where a buyer uh, at that final walkthrough day before closing said, oh, I just noticed the roof is bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to knock $10,000 off the price. And here's the moving the, van was already there, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So you're in a tough spot. So I'm going to say our real estate industry and the professionalism of it has evolved also to where we can deal with those things. So now a home inspection is looked at as pointing things out. It, it's not saying you're passing or failing, but, um, and not saying everything should be done, but there is full knowledge from a professional standpoint as to what you're dealing with when you're buying a property. Right, right. Okay, so was it during the 90s, would you say there was a good balance of buyers and sellers? 
I think it was fairly balanced, yes. Uh, there was kind of a, a run-up in... Uh, uh, there was there was a run-up of prices, uh, but there was I think it was a fairly balanced market, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. I remember back in the 90s, um, I, I couldn't imagine running out of homes to sell. <laughs> um, oh, and when I would take a buyer out and show them property, there was... P- Plenty to show, right? Uh, that is true, you know. And I rec- now that you mention it, uh, I remember I bought fifty-five lock boxes from the Fresno Association of Realtors to put on my listings. And there was a time when all my lock boxes were out. It was that's kind of scary, yeah, and, and, and a lot of work. <laughs> right? Wow. So that is amazing. To um, and and that's a good example of how things would come on the market and i guess it was normal or common to have a home be on the market for three months oh yeah before you got your first offer Mm -hmm. hey nowadays you can just hear the buyer saying wow it's been on the market 10 days i wonder what's wrong with it (laughs) right (laughs) well they've all been to the buyer's school and in buyer's school they teach them how to ask those kind of questions ah (laughs) all right Let's jump forward now to a different era, the 2000s. What was that like? I would characterize the early 2000s as the era of boom and bust. Hmm. Uh, A great big boom because that seven-year cycle that we anticipated would, that run up from 1996 upwards, we thought it would stop maybe at 2003 if it had followed the pattern of the past 20 years. But it didn't. It just kept going and going and going. We didn't know when it was going to stop. And so uh, prices went up. Activity went up. People were using real estate as an investment vehicle, as I said before. And then, of course, the everything got overheated and, and there was the crash of 2007, 2008. Yeah. And I think if you were to look at the 2000s, the beginning of 2000s was a real run-up and a lot of that and this is where external forces started to play play into housing such as 9-11 made people realize that hey i i don't want to travel i don't want to spend all my money traveling i want a good home i want to feel secure and that feeling of security that a home gives you made more people want to buy um and then the outside forces of freddie mac and fannie mae played a role in this they started saying yeah everybody needs to buy a home so we're going to make these exotic loan types the uh that we talked about earlier it became it became very easy to find anybody could finance a home i mean no problem yeah there there was the no job no doc documentation loan you could just go in and say yeah i'm self-employed as an entrepreneur and i make twenty thousand a month stated income yeah and stamped approval right (laughs) stated income stamped approval right but they made those loans with balloon payments negative amortization uh, things like that and it just wasn't sustainable and then the balloon burst 2007 2008 
And now as we get to the end of the 2000s, you have, what did you say? It was 75% were distressed properties right? or, or foreclosures. They were foreclosures or short sales. And bless them, but the banks didn't know how to handle that inventory. <laughs> so uh, I, I actually had one. You're going to laugh at this one, Ken. But the bank said, no, we sold that property as is. And they wouldn't put a smoke detector in. And, and the bank, the new bank said, well, we're not going to. We're not financing it with no smoke detector. Right. Right. So that's where the entrepreneurship of myself came in. I had midnight home inspection or home repair go in there and take care of it. <laughs> we got it done. But uh, crazy how those things cause prices to go down so rapidly. Because obviously the foreclosure company would prefer that cash offer where there was nobody else to say, hey, you got to put a smoke detector in there. We had a very serious impact on the first time home buyers in that era because so many of the, of the, of the transactions were bought by investors who had cash. Cash was king at that time, and cash usually is king, but especially then. So until the prices reached a, a certain level uh, and investors stopped buying, it was then probably about maybe 2014 or 15 when first-time homebuyers could sort of get into the market again. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the 2010s, um, 10 through 20. Well... As an agent, uh, I saw a lot of, again, I saw investors. I, I had a client call me and say, uh, Ken, I want to buy homes uh, for $60,000 or less for cash. And uh, I helped a lot of people buy $60,000 homes in the 2010, 2011. In fact, I finally decided I should buy some myself uh, because the, the value uh, in the long run now, uh, in fact, I, I'm, I met this last week with a buyer that bought one of those homes for 50000 from me. Now he's tired of ha having a tenant there, and we're going to list it for 300000 So uh, th that investor made a good, made, did make a good purchase during mm -hmm. that time. But there was a lot of criticism of investors as well because they were sort of dominating the market. But on the, again, talking about paradoxes, the paradox of this is that the investors actually helped us to drag ourselves out of this depressed bank-owned distressed property situation uh, until we, we get those properties flushed out of the market. Uh, we could not become uh, a normal market until that happened. And let me take a guess. You're saying it well, that those investors helped pull us out of that market and I'm going to say it's because the investors were generally more localized than the REOs, the foreclosure companies. Oh, absolutely. These are, these are local people. Yeah. And mom and pops. Mm -hmm. you know, these were not uh, corporations. Here's a funny story. Um, I had uh, a bank on a foreclosure. They sent a company, uh, and they were stationed out of the East Coast. And they probably looked at a map and said, oh, Modesto, Fresno, close no, enough. No so they hired a um, 
uh, locksmith and, and per, uh, to come out and uh, change the locks and secure the property. They had to drive all the way from Modesto, but they did it. The problem is they had the wrong house. <laughs> they, and they secured the wrong property. They locked somebody out of their own home. It was a fiasco. And the difference was they didn't know the difference between Clovis and Fresno addresses. So there you go. It, it, would, it would have been far better if the, the, they were more localized and they would have known that, you know, that's 100 miles away. Let's get somebody local. Yes. Fre Fresno has a big enough market. They could have found a locksmith. We have a few locksmiths here. We have a few. That's right. All right. So um, I think it's time for a commercial break again. <laughs> Our last one. And when we get back, we're going to talk about what we've learned in all these 40 years. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today because the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here in the studio helping out today, we have Ken Newfeld, realtor with... Um, London properties and been in the business since 1980. You've seen a thing or two, but more importantly, you've been, you've done a few things too. Um, you, you've done all aspects of real estate. I know you've buying, selling, uh, uh, or helping people buy and sell, but you've also, uh, invested yourself. You've also been a lender on, on occasion. I, I think, and, yeah. and so what okay so we've talked about the what real estate was like and how simple it was in the 80s uh how it got very complex after the 2000s especially with financing um what what have we learned in these last 40 some years well the one thing that comes to mind uh don is that uh, we need to be very astute in reading the mindset of our clients. Uh, the homeowners very often are dealing with a very emotional situation. The seller that's lived in that home for 30 years, raised their kids there, or the, the, the son or daughter who is selling the parents' home, or who the parents have passed away, there's a lot of emotional attachment and we need to be able to recognize and and uh, acknowledge those feelings. I think in our clients when uh, when you're dealing with home sellers and home buyers. On the other hand, dealing with investors, they're just by the numbers, you know, because they are looking at uh, uh, an investment uh, in the real sense of the word. So uh, I think I've I've tried to learn to be able to read the mindset and the emotional level of uh, a client, I think it's very important to help them feel satisfied in their transaction. All right, I like that. That's a good observation. And maybe also for buyers and sellers out there, the, a good advice to them might be to balance the emotions of home ownership with the logistics of it. 
So we don't just do it for the investment. Right. We do have to kind of, the, the, the emotional attachment is there, but we do need to try and help people get past that. And sometimes they need to see it as a business decision as well. So we, we try to bridge that gap. Yeah. And, and nothing says it better than the Homewards Essay Contest that we had a few months ago where the school-aged children taught us what a home is really all about. Because they, they use, the, the kids talked about security in, in the home. They talked about um, having fun and family over. They didn't talk about interest rates. Um, what, they didn't even talk about whether the home was owned or, or rented or shared. It was their domicile. Well, Absolutely. they didn't use that word, domicile. Right. Very, very important ingredients of that's what home ownership is all about. Right, right. Um, now, here in the studio also, we have our trusted board operator. He's the guy that brings the show to us every week. Um, but in real life, uh, outside of the this dream world of radio, um, <laughs> he's an insurance agent. And I'd like to get an insurance update from Bobby Thistle, of farmers insurance we're hearing all kinds of things in fact ken can attest to the fact that we now have a new form on our uh our purchase contracts talking about insurance and how difficult it's become to get we're advising buyers to check into insurance early in the transaction yeah bobby give us an update is it getting better you know, I think we're, we're turning the corner. You know, last year was pretty rough for a lot of companies. That's kind of when companies were leaving the state, uh, just leaving the housing market, stopped selling that line of business. But it seems like we're kind of turning the corner. But yeah, that's, I mean, good advice. If you're going to be buying a home, look at the insurance early on. Get a few options from different carriers to see if it's going to be something that you can afford. Because if you wait to the last minute, it might be a little harder to get it quickly these days, and especially if you're you're wanting land and you know you're more in the foothills or up in the in the mountains if you're thinking about buying that second home or that vacation home you might be surprised on what the cost is of insurance these days so you know look early because um, it could really change your mind on if you're going to make that that purchase or or not okay so um how about cost has cost really gone up it has i mean just like anything you know it's going up every year but, you know, I think we're trying to, a lot of companies are trying to kind of catch up for the premium that they, they didn't earn during the pandemic a little bit before that when, you know, the, the uh, Department of Insurance really wasn't allowing us to take the correct rate each year. So a lot of companies were, were trying to... They were suppressing the prices, right? Yeah. Kind of like rent control. I mean, insurance yeah. control. Yeah, very similar. And then uh, if <laughs> that, that was a mistake, by the way. I didn't mean to say that. No, that's all right. <laughs> And then if you're familiar with the California Fair Plan, those are for the people that, that can't find insurance, and it's in the higher fire risk areas. And, you know, even they, they came out with a whole new system in November of last year, and all their rates went up 15% just across the board, just as a starting point. So it has gone up more than, than your usual $100, $200 a year. Hmm. All right. How about other parts of other than residential? Has auto insurance been more difficult to get? <laughs> yeah, it has been. So it's not like the old days where you can just, hey, I want to get insurance. I'm buying a car. You, most of the big carriers have waiting periods now, 15 days, 19 days, 25 days, where 
if you come talk to me, Don, you know, we can open your account, but there's a waiting period. So like we can get it started. There's underwriting now. So you just have to kind of plan ahead when it comes to all things insurance and for like, and going back to the home insurance, you know, the primary residence, those are usually pretty easy to get. But like, if you're a landlord, if you want to go get a landlord policy, most, most carriers have stopped that line of business in California. So you gotta, you know, be smart, do it ahead of the game because it's not so instant like it used to be say five years ago on going back to the auto insurance what's the purpose of a 15-day waiting period <laughs> you know i think it's with the cost of automobiles and the, you know the the time to repair automobiles i think in, insurance carriers are trying to like pump the brakes on the amount of new business that they're taking on to try to slow things and maybe that'll i mean i don't want to say it's going to turn people away but i think it's just slowing the amount of new business so we can catch up so our loss ratio can turn around Hmm. And maybe the purpose of the 15 days is so that they'll go find it elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. Yeah, that, I think that's kind of, it's in there. It's part of the factor for sure. All right. Well, thank you, Bobby sure. Thistle, for giving us that, um, that update on insurance. And as Ken Newfeld said, if you're buying a home, and I guess even an automobile, <clears throat> check into insurance right away. Don't wait till the last minute. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Ken Newfeld. I want to get back to you now. Last couple minutes of the show, or actually about the last minute of the show. Um, What do you want our listeners to remember the most about today's show? Well, I would say uh, stay tuned with the market and um, be aware of market changes. And um, when the market is right, when time is right for you, that's the time you need to plunge in and always use a realtor. Okay, and I like what you said, when it's right for you. So if you're just trying to time the market for investment reasons, um, not because your family is growing and you need to move, but just so you can buy at the bottom of the market just remember nobody rings a bell at the bottom of the market or the top of the market so do it when it's right for you all right i want to thank uh, all our listeners and ken newfell and bobby thistle for uh helping out with today's show and we will be back again next week so tune in to welcome home radio thank you <laughs>